0: Many years ago, when the planet Krypton, home of a race of supermen, exploded in space, the sole survivor was an infant boy, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane! No, it's now playing Superman movie retrospective series.
1: Man, this is gonna be good!
0: Hosted by Stuart I've always considered you the Dutch elm disease in my family tree Arnie Yeah, you're just an experiment freak, El (laughs) And Jacob I want to propose a toast To a nice guy Who's about to finish last And these three new arrivals bring destruction in their wake. These people have such powers, nothing can stop them Now that you know, I think you should know it all. Tell me everything, starting with crystals. Can you read my mind? If so, you already know this podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Holy skunk, Listener discretion is advised. Bring it on! There are questions to be asked, and it is time for you to do so, here in this, this fortress of solitude, we shall try to find the answers together.
2: Today we're discussing Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Starring Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Jackie Cooper, Mark McClure, John Cryer, Muriel Hemingway and Margot Kidder, directed by Sidney J. Fury. I'm Arnie, and it's common knowledge that I hate children and animals. Stuart in LA. And this is Jacob, your host of Steel. When we started the Superman Retrospective, I said that I was looking to this series to try to remind me what makes Superman an interesting character. He's so powerful. He's so infallible. Can that be interesting? Now that we're reaching our fourth or fifth or sixth super film, depending on how you want to count this retrospective, I have to say I think the writers were coming up against the same struggle. What do you do? We've already had his relationship and put him on the celibate path. We've already had him fight Kryptonians his equal. So what do you do? You have him take
1: on nukes. Or at least when you give the script control over to Christopher Reeve, I notice he gets a story credit this time. Christopher Reeve was apparently
2: very activist when it came to nuclear weapons. And a little bit of backstory, you'll notice this is the first Superman film, including Supergirl, that the Salkins were not involved in. After Superman 3 didn't do very well and Supergirl did miserably, they just figured, all right, Superman's had his run, just like the Three Musketeers, and time to move on to other projects. And they ended up selling the rights to Superman to Canon Films.
0: Oh,
3: no! I love Breaking to Electric Boogaloo and all those American Ninja films. How about Missing in Action? Talk about Out in the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. Oh, my God. I do find it amusing, the Salkins, yeah, Remade 2, well, I kind of like 3, but Remade Supergirl and it tanked. So it's not the writers, it's not the production, it's not the film's fault, it's Superman, like, let's just get rid of these rights.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fair-weathered fans of their superhero properties, I take it, but it sounds to me like this is a great thing on paper. The Salkins were what kept Brando away, they're what kept Hackman away. They lost whatever they had started with that first two Superman with Superman 3. I say great. I'd love for the opportunity to have all the people return. I love the fact that pac and Kidder and all the people that were complaining and relegated to the sidelines the last few movies are now back. But Canon Films? Oh, boy.
2: Well, Canon Films apparently at the time was doing really well. And they were about to get out of the cheap film ghetto and Superman was going to be one of their major motion pictures with a budget of, depending on what you read, possibly as high as
1: 40 million. Yes. But then life happens or in this case, life force. Canon Films put all their eggs in one basket in the sci-fi, crazy zombies from Haley's Comet, Naked Chick movie. We've talked a little bit about it over at our donation series this spring, actually, on Return of the Living Dead. I mentioned this film, but it was an incredibly expensive bomb for Canon Films, and it totally leveled the playing field for all of their future projects. The money just went
2: away. And it's sad because they seemed to have high hopes for this. They wanted not only the original cast back that you mentioned, Stuart, they went to Richard Donner. They tried to get him back to direct.
1: Oh, I had that burning as a question when I saw this Sidney Fury, who I'd never heard of before, but have seen his work when I looked it up. I just felt like, man, why couldn't they have they had the complete party? Why couldn't they have gotten Richard Donner? He would have been fresh from Lethal Weapon, still a very credible hot director. I can't imagine that he didn't have more Superman stories in him. I can't imagine that he wouldn't have wanted to correct what he saw as the offenses of Richard Lester's vision.
2: Basically, he felt that he'd moved on. He had Lethal weapon, he was a successful director and producer at this point. When he was working on the Superman 2 parts that he worked on, he felt that he could have stayed with Superman for four, five, six films. He had the stories in mind. But after some time away, after seeing what Superman had become, yeah, he was done.
1: So would they get the guy that does the Iron Eagle movies? Well, he
2: wasn't their first choice. They also went to, I mentioned on some previous podcasts, Tom Mankiewicz, who was Richard Donner's partner. He basically rewrote part one and two into the films we saw, but SAG denied him a writing credit. So he was creative consultant. Christopher Reeve went to him and said, hey, I have this great idea. Superman stops nukes. Will you write it? And he was like, A, no, and B, don't do that.
1: (laughs) Well, at least promises to be less funny-funny than the last effort. There's no role for Richard Pryor here. If you're going to go political, you're going to go back to the more, eh, it was never totally serious, but at least more reverential tone of that first movie. I don't think that the impulse was wrong to go topical, but yeah, Superman against nuclear weapons, what's the battle there? Yeah, that's what
2: Mankiewicz said, is that Superman has all these powers that you start to ask unanswerable questions and you start to get him into unwinnable situations if you have him leave Metropolis. Mankiewicz urged Reeve to focus on the character, focus on the people, and focus on the situations not to go global. But Christopher Reeve, he wanted to make a statement about nuclear disarmament, and so this was... Half the reason Reeve came back, half was he got to pick the story, the other half was a pet project named Street Smarts would also be financed and made by Canon.
1: Mmm, I have seen that movie. It was a darker film. Really a more breakout for Morgan Freeman than it was Reeve. He had an excellent role as a pimp in that.
2: (laughs) I can't picture stoic presidential Morgan Freeman, Shawshank Redemption Morgan Freeman as a pimp. But they didn't jump straight to the Iron Eagle guy. Oh, no. (laughs) They did try Richard Lester. I don't know why he didn't come back. Maybe he had read this script. (laughs) And then you're going to love this one, Stuart, if you don't know.
1: Attached to direct, Wes Craven. Oh, my God. (laughs) I did not know and cannot imagine. Why anyone involved would think that was a good fit.
2: He'd been kind of over the horror thing. He'd had the huge success with Nightmare on Elm Street. He wrote a draft of Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He ended up doing Shocker instead of this at the time. He left due to, quote, creative differences, unquote, with Christopher Reeve.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why not just get him to direct? It honestly seems like this could be a William Shatner, Star Trek 5 kind of situation.
3: I could almost see Craven. I don't think you know this, Stuart, but what we see in this film, there was a lot of stuff cut out. I'm sure Arnie will get into it, but there was a whole other villain that almost seems kind of Freddy-esque. This bizarro character that got cut out of the film.
1: Oh, he has nothing to do with Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little Freddy on this. There were some nails anyway.
3: <laughs> He's a wise cracking villain, at least the way he was in the footage I've seen that got cut.
1: So how many different versions of this movie exist? There is
2: only one cut of this film. This thing hit with such a thud, not even for the deluxe Blu-ray set did they recut it. They found about 30 or 40 minutes of footage that was cut. If you guys remember way back in our Captain America review, no, not the Chris Evans one. (laughs) The other
1: one, the Canon Films Captain America. Uh, I vaguely remember something about that, yes. Not the one with the motorcycle helmet, the one with the red skull that looked like he was from Hellraiser.
2: Yeah, and the fake ears on Captain America's hood. Yes. That was directed by Albert Pune, who got that job because he was originally hired to make Superman 5 using 45 extra minutes of Superman 4 footage that was cut. <laughs> Would this
1: be the long-awaited theatrical arrival of Super Pup?
2: <laughs> this really
3: sounds like they're going to do a Silent Night Deadly Night. Just, like, rearrange the scenes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have old footage flying around. That's a new movie. Yikes. That's, wow.
2: Yeah, that was the plan because this film, when it was turned in to the studio, ran over two hours. When the studio was done, it ran as felt 90 minutes.
1: Yeah, this is the shortest one. By far, this feels like the leanest of the Superman efforts. So we'll talk about it when we come through,
2: but in canon's mind, there was literally enough film cut out that you could make a second movie.
1: I wasn't sure as we approached this, I had seen it before. When we started the retrospective, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen all the Christopher Reeve ones. But as we went through it, all the things I remembered were in the other movies. When we got to four, I could not really remember much. And I concluded that if I've seen this at all, I kind of half watched it like it was on TV and I might have been cleaning my room or something. I really don't think I've ever fully paid attention to this movie until this viewing.
3: I'm right there with you, Stuart. I did not see this when it came out in theaters. I was around that age, I guess like sixth grade. You know, as a boy, uh, am I supposed to play with toys now? I'm getting almost in junior high. Do I watch these silly superhero characters. I felt like I was too mature at this point. Of course, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would come out a year later and be massively huge, and I'd be totally into that. But no, Superman, that was child's play. And yeah, <laughs> I've tried to watch this since. I've never made it through it. This is my first time sitting all the way through. I've never gotten through this film in one sitting before.
2: Jacob, you're younger than me, but I was right there with you when this came out in theaters. I almost didn't see it. I went to the theater. Two movies were showing at the same time. Superman 4 or Nadine, if you remember that film.
1: Oh, a little Jeff Bridges, Kim Basinger, something or rather.
2: Yes, and can you believe it was between these two when I got <laughs> up to the box office?
1: <laughs> wow, then you really didn't want to see this movie, is all I can say. But you did. That's impressive. You went to the movie theater and paid what four or five dollars to watch this.
2: It was a matinee. I think it was three
1: fifty. Still grounds for a class action lawsuit, I think.
2: <laughs> I remember watching this in a mostly empty theater. And not realizing that it was the movie. I was still only about 12 years old. I thought it was me. I thought I'd outgrown the Superman's films. I thought that there were no more Superman stories left to tell. And so I left and never looked back upon this film until this retrospective. Now, I had memories of Nuclear Man. And I had memories of Lex Luthor's nephew. My memory was not that it was Ducky John Cryer. But... (laughs) I didn't really know him that well at that age, but I had memories and was intrigued to return and see, was it you or was it me, Superman 4?
1: (laughs) My only question entering this one was, was it going to be really worse than Superman 3? All they've got to do is they've got to stop the decline. I do not want to see anything worse than what we've gotten with that Richard Pryor effort. And... Well, Arnie, give him the plot. Well, it's
2: the 80s, full on. Greed is good, and even in a world with Superman, things aren't as they used to be. Clark's trying to sell the Kent Farm, but only mini-mall developers want the property. The Daily Planet has been purchased by sleazy tabloid millionaire David Warfield and his rich bitch daughter Lacey. The Superman franchise had been sold from the Salkins to the even cheaper Canon films. And worst of all... Nuclear peace talks have failed, and so pseudo-Ronald Reagan has decided to make America second to none with the biggest, baddest arsenal of nuclear weapons around. But a plea from little boy Jeremy makes Superman defy his elders and single-handedly rid the world of nuclear weapons, throwing them into the sun. But unbeknownst to Superman, Lex Luthor has escaped prison with the help of his dense valley boy nephew Lenny. He uses a strand of Superman's hair to make a clone of the Kryptonian, which he hides on one of the nuclear weapons Superman hurls into the sun. That's a clone? That's a clone. (laughs) Okay. In the sun's radiation is born Nuclear Man, a chiseled blonde with Lex Luthor's voice, Superman's powers, and one weakness. He goes to sleep in the dark like a baby bird. While Luther does this, Clark Kent starts to date and humanize Lacey while Superman is romanced by Lois, but these romantic hijinks end when Nuclear Man uses his nuclear manicure to scratch Superman and make him ill. Superman uses the energy source from his spaceship to recover, so thank God he found it in the first act. And he again fights Nuclear Man, ending by trapping him in a nuclear reactor. And with Luther returned to prison, Perry White buying the planet back, Superman realizes he cannot force humans to abandon nuclear weapons. They have to do so themselves as credits roll.
1: Boy, that isn't even the half of it. I guess that's why we got the rest of the show, to muddle through the wreckage that has become this franchise. My God, if I had any doubt that this was going to be worse than Superman 3. It is answered in screamingly loud vocals just by these opening credits. This kind of video toaster graphics across the screen, followed by Russians in space being terrorized by a, what, rogue satellite? This is god-awful.
2: All right, I have to say, you called out the titles. The commentary I heard with one of the writers called out the titles as being cheap. Are they really that bad?
3: Oh, Artie! They are awful! I'm thinking we're going back to George Reeves-era
2: titles now. These things look bad.
1: They're one star wipe away from Love
2: Boat. Admittedly, you say video toaster, I immediately think of the cartwheel wipe. I don't think that these credits are that terrible. I don't (laughs) think they're that good. They're not as amazing as the 1978 credits, but they're passable. They're words on a screen that fly in and out of the screen. I appreciated that they tried to do something a little different by having them curve around the Earth instead of just coming to space
1: like the anti-Star Wars. They're vultures circling a carcass waiting to be devoured, Arnie.
3: Yeah, give me Superman 3 slapstick credits over that, over what I'm seeing here.
1: It's just clear there's no money. And that's not to say that it's going to be a bad movie, but the penny-pinching is obvious from the get-go. And it just continues on.
2: And you talk about these early space scenes. I thought those also looked okay at the beginning. When you see the Russian cosmonauts, Outside, in space, one of them singing, all of that looked fine. It looked like 80s Star Trek to me. Now, when this weird piece of space debris hits one of the cosmonauts, all right, that's unintentionally laugh-out-loud funny. And when Superman flies, his cape flapping in the space breeze... Yes, I noticed that. The less we talk about the flying in this
3: movie, the better. (laughs)
1: It is awful. It really is. Arnie, you can split all the hairs you want. The fact is, the project is bald. There is nothing here, visually, that is impressive anymore. It may not be as bad as a nuclear explosion, (laughs) but I still have hives. (laughs) I am still crying. I weep at what has become what used to be a visually marvelous movie. Really, just, it's all gone.
2: Yeah, I will say this. In 1978, I believed a man could fly. In 1987, I believed a man could stand in front of a green screen suspended by wires. Yeah. Barely. Barely.
1: The song was Can You Read My Mind? It's now Can You Find a Dime? (laughs) This is bad. The only thing that I find mm, encouraging a strong word, but hopeful in all of this is Is this topicality, the fact that, okay, we're no longer in Metropolis, we're going to look at the Russians, we're going to look at the failing family farm in the scene after this. The idea that they are going to go with real, heavy-hitting, ripped-from-the-front headlines news topics, well, this is a bold approach for Superman. It's kind of ironic that they're going for the most realism when they have the least money to pull off the look. But I at least want to see if maybe they can be less farcical than Superman 3. That's the only hope. But I know that visually this is beyond the pale. It's gone.
3: I do find it interesting that they actually try to get Donner for this because I do see this as a return to Donner's vision. After that slapstick film, they are trying to make it more serious. And it almost seems like they're just trying to do the best of Donner here. We start in space. We had that whole moon scene in Superman 2. We had a cosmonaut there. Here's some more cosmonauts in space. We go back to Smallville. He even digs up his old spaceship that he was a baby in and finds another damn crystal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, did he already get this thing when he was 18 years old? There's another one.
2: The voice is speaking to him from the ship. Has it been there the whole time? And most importantly, when did he get the superpowers to steer it a hole and make it fill itself?
1: Yeah, it's like a ghost. It's like Ghost Mom came and gave him this (laughs) hall pass that he's going to use. We know at the darkest thing. This is this movie's I'm going to turn the planet around. I'm going to kiss you and you're going to forget everything kind of rewrite. This is my magic green stick that's going to, at a certain point, get me out of an impossible situation. That's all that this scene does. But I do like the fact that we're here at the farm. There is some stirrings of fondness for the Donner vision by thinking about mom's gone now and there's the crumbling baby crib that he had. And just thinking about who he was before, it's really not a great way to approach Superman for. The less you remember how good those first movies are, the less offended you're likely to be about where we're at now. But I do wish, like the filmmakers here, we were back in the vibe of that first movie.
2: Yeah, it tries to recapture it. It just hurts it that it seems to be all for naught. Because we're back at the farm. We're talking about the farm. We're seeing the green crystal. He even hits the baseball, just like in the first movie when he kicked the football. And then we never mention the farm again.
1: (laughs) I would have loved it if that baseball flew up and hit the cosmonaut again. (laughs)
2: Yeah, does this farm ever get turned into a strip mall?
1: We never find
2: out. In the cutscenes, at the very end, Clark sells it to Lacey, who decides she wants a simpler life than running the Daily Planet. Ah, so it had, would you call that payoff? Yeah, it was at least not forgotten in the extended footage that it is in the theatrical cut, where, yeah, it's, here's a green crystal. I wonder what it will be used for. Only use it once.
1: Yeah, it's the screenwriting rule. If you introduce a gun in the first act, it has to go off in the third act, even if it's filled with blanks. And it is. That's not a really satisfying payoff, but it's a payoff for something you did earlier. Yeah, you got to do it. But another nostalgia piece, Lois is back. And I think this one is crucial here. I did not think that she would be coming back after the way they quickly whipped her out of the picture for Lana Lang last time in the Superman 3 movie. But it's Margot Kidder. Not only is it Lois Lane, Margot Kidder is back and needing to talk to her sponsor.
2: (laughs) She (laughs) does. The crazy has started to take over, hasn't it? It's just visible. I never quite got why people would find her attractive. But now even her defenders have to be siding with me, right? She's one tooth away from the bushes.
1: The slurring of the speech, Clark, she just can't even get a line out with the same brassy energy. It's disturbing to me. Are there any stories about use? It's kind of like when you used to party with people, you haven't seen them in a while, you go back and you've grown up and gotten clean and they haven't. It's sobering, for lack of a better word.
2: (laughs) It's not for her. (laughs)
1: No. But to see her in this condition, trying to pretend like nothing has changed, it's hurtful.
2: Well, like I said in Superman 3, which seems so long ago, (laughs) doesn't it? But (laughs) she has admitted to attempting to self-medicate with illegal drugs and alcohol before she finally got help for her mental illnesses. Mental illness is not something to be laughed at, but Margot Kidder is.
1: No, no, no. The joke is not that. The joke is the fact that nobody thought we would notice that Lois Lane is barely able to stand up straight here. It's evident. It's to the point where an intervention should have happened here. It's terrible that she was allowed to get through this. I would have loved to have Margot Kidder for part one, part two era back on the scene. That would have instilled me with hope. Here, seeing her on this runaway train bit It's, again, another embarrassing scene in a string of cheesy grab bag attempts to pull our nostalgia.
2: You mentioned the subway train action scene in the beginning. Action? (laughs) It's a scene. Let's keep it at that. Well, this is something that really struck home to me is, In the first two Superman films, Metropolis as New York felt so omnipresent. They called it Metropolis, but you were in Times Square. You were at Grand Central Station. Some were amazingly faithful recreations some location shooting. Here, we're still supposed to be in Metropolis, but Lois is quite clearly not on a New York subway. She is not on the same train that Otis dodged to get to Luthor's hidden base. She's on the tube,
1: right? Oh, in London. I don't know where this is. It didn't strike me as a functional train at all. I thought it might be a set. That it could be,
2: but it does not have the feel of New York, and repeatedly, they'll try to make scenes as if they should be in New York, and they just so clearly aren't. The worst, the absolute worst, I'll just bring it up now, is when Superman goes to the hotel that's supposed to be the UN.
3: I thought it was a cafeteria at a high school.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They actually paid for a hotel banquet room? No, no, like he's walking outside as if he's walking up the door to the UN, and he's obviously walking up the door to check in. (laughs)
1: Yeah. It's Metropolis, Arnie. It's not New York. That's the clause they can to get out of this. They don't need to shoot in New York because it's not set in New York, right? I'll give them that pass. If the money got cut, they can't afford to shoot where they originally shot. Okay. But this scene is just another embarrassing scene. The driver just falls over, like dies, and then Superman in all of his squareness just stops it and says, I think this man may need some medical attention. And by the way, I'm going to do a PSA for the subway. This is Adam West back batman kind of campiness right come on that was
3: a callback to superman one going for that donner feel after the helicopter scene saying statistically flying is still the safest way to travel and here he does it with subways this time what i find incredible is that you have superman and he doesn't use his powers to stop the train he just shorts out the rail that's anticlimactic when you have superman
1: what powers i don't think this superman has been in the gym for about a decade All right.
2: Now, I'm not going to let this go by because I remember even when this movie came out, people were making fun of it, saying that Christopher Reeve had gotten fat.
1: I didn't say fat. I said
3: hadn't been working out. No, he doesn't look fat to me, but he's not muscular like he was.
2: No, but a lot of the problem with this movie is in the flying scenes, they used a cheaper flying harness. Not the nice ones you were up on, Stuart. (laughs) The cheaper ones... And it had a much larger waist piece that made him look fat. And all the reviews came out. Christopher Reeve gained weight for Superman. He was so mad to do it that he wouldn't even work out. No, he was still fairly toned and fairly fit. But the costume did him no favors this time.
1: He doesn't wear it well. I can tell you that, honestly, my criticism is not about his proportions. It's the fact that he does not sell the... Superman image this time. This is the weakest performance that Christopher Reeve has given in the role. He's going for Adam West. I guess I would see it as a callback to that first one, Jacob, if the man wasn't slumped over, possibly dead. But (laughs) here he is ignoring a problem rather than giving it his full attention here. It's one thing to make light when you pulled someone off a helicopter. It's another thing when they're displayed out on the ground.
2: Yeah, he probably should be rushing him to an ER (laughs) instead. He's reassuring everyone, oh yeah, the subway is still very safe.
1: (laughs) Not for this dude. Now, you mentioned the fact that the Salkins had gone the wayside here. I have to wonder, do you think that the Warfields are an attempt to parody those producers here? Because all of a sudden, the new villain is a hostile takeover of the Daily Planet by sleazy tabloid people that won't pay for trips to France. It really feels like sort of the stinginess of the Salkins being parodied when Lois and Clark and everyone else gets the news that they're under new management. Wow,
2: that's the pot calling the kettle black on screen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's hard for canon to make these jokes, isn't it?
2: Did one of the Salkins wear some killer
3: shoulder pads like Lacey? Oh, those are awesome. I think she's more broad than Superman in this film.
2: Not only that, I thought she was going to start tapping her arms. Same as it ever was, same as it ever was.
1: Mariel Hemingway. I hadn't seen her in a few years, but she had a really good debut. She was in Woody Allen's Manhattan. She had made a name for herself in Star 80, a really intense movie. She was going to be a big star of the 80s. And then, yeah, this is like the next time I ever saw her and not really up to what she had done before.
2: I had such a crush on her in the 80s and 90s, especially that film Personal Best. I really liked that
1: one. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> That might be the reason why she's here splayed atop a desk trying to seduce Clark here, reassuring everyone that she is a man-hungry sex bot.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that said, I'm disappointed that the focus goes completely to Lacey and Lana doesn't get a mention. If we're at the Daily Planet and Lana was Perry White's secretary, I thought Lana should be in the mix too. Why have two women vying for Clark when you can have three? Lacey repeats the Lana thing, right? where Lacey's into Clark, but not Superman?
3: Yeah, Lacey does the same role as Lana here. They could have just had Lana and have the same foursome storyline between Superman, Clark, Lana, or Lacey, and Lois.
1: Yeah, this sounds a little messy to me, but I think what they've changed about that scenario is that Lana preferred Clark to Superman, but she didn't dislike Superman. Here... These Warfields are actively putting out stories that discredit Superman. They want to make him look bad. They see that there's money in tarnishing his image, and she just doesn't have much use for it. She is a villain. The villains of this movie are arguably an equal weight with any nuclear man or Lex Luthor are these Warfields here.
3: Yes, they must have gone to the J. Jonah Jameson School of Journalism. You see that same thing with the Daily Bugle trying to trash Spider-Man.
1: Well, that was going to be Cannon's next film.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They could have used some of this cut footage.
1: (laughs) I never really liked Lana, so I can't say that I missed her, but a missed opportunity for connection is to having her son Ricky at least be the boy that introduces the idea of nuclear disarmament. Instead, they just cut away to some random classroom in the middle of nowhere where some boy is going to make everyone's eyes widen at the prospect of putting pencil to paper and suggesting Superman should, hey, throw away all of our nuclear weapons. This is really out of left field.
3: I love the fact that Lois is supposed to go to France to cover some arms treaty and it falls apart for some reason. And the next second is the president. We are going to build our nukes. We will be number one. This is really bad diplomacy.
1: (laughs) But it was the era we were living in. It should be said that it was right before the wall came down. It was right before the whole Soviet Union crumbling. We were a couple of years away from the whole world changing and this escalation thing, it would have felt very, very real at the time.
2: It goes along with the politics of the time that the key was if everyone has all these nukes, then nobody's going to fire them. And disarmament is a trick because they're going to trick us into disarming and then we lose and they'll use their nukes to take over. So that did feel very topical to me at the time as well as now. But yeah, they've changed their president from the guy in Superman 2 to an obvious, obvious Ronald Reagan clone who's going to sit up there and start talking about how big and bad their nuclear weapons are going to be. And it's poorly told. We've had some bad effects and we've had some bad acting, but here's where I realize we also have bad storytelling in this (laughs) film because I barely caught that Lois was going to be there. It's not just the war fields who are cheap, it's Canon Films. They couldn't afford to send Lois to a press conference full of extras where they could have delivered this in a meaningful way. So they're watching the president on TV.
3: Yeah, you're saying this is topical. Was it topical for third graders to watch these press conferences?
1: No, I don't think that in, in any classroom we ever had a discussion about current debates. It was more like fractions, you know, maybe something in <laughs> a test tube. I really don't think that children of the age that Jeremy is here are mulling these big issues and being asked to write their congressmen. I'm going to guess that Reeve probably did get these kinds of letters. There were children that asked Superman to save the world, and it probably emboldened him to think that this was something to discuss here with the sequel. I'll give him this much. It's ambitious. It really puts it on him to change the level of discourse they've had in a Superman movie. No more silliness. If you're going to get into nuclear disarmament, you're approaching a real world that's, well, if not Nolan-esque, at least closer to that than Donner. I will say that I remember there
2: being stories in the news of little kids who would write letters to the president. And every so often you'd see that, especially around election time. They bring out the precocious young child who wrote a letter to the president, and, oh, through the eyes of a child, if worlds could be this simple, the child sees war as bad, so we need to listen to the child and stop. This didn't feel out of place, that there would be somewhere a precocious kid who's using a letter-writing campaign to change the world. The
1: difference is, they're not writing to this warmongering president, they're writing to Superman. Right. I just feel like it would have been cleaner to have Lana's kid be the one to introduce this, and to keep Lana in this situation. The fact that it's a random kid who comes in, does a photo op that gets distorted. It should be said that the Daily Planet actually runs the headline, Superman tells this little kid to drop dead. But the whole point is this kid is here to introduce an idea and then disappears, right? I think he's at another press conference at the end, but he is not a character in the story. That's bad writing.
3: What probably happened to Lana's kid is Lana lost her job when Perry White decided to just walk off the job. He doesn't like the war fields, so he just walks out. He's like, I'm going to do something about this and leaves for almost the rest of the film. So I guess she didn't have anything to do once her boss was gone.
2: Listen, I don't know what was going on in Jackie Cooper's life, but Perry White needed medical care, okay? The man did not look well.
1: Agreed. He was maybe a little bit more vibrant than Lois, but none of these people are looking well. That is the chilling thing that you're having to face here, is that a decade later, all of these people are a shadow of their former selves. It's just not any fun to see them. Even Jimmy's here, and I'm telling you, after that Supergirl, I want him behind bars.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised he wasn't in jail at this point. (laughs) I saw this movie, and I thought Cooper was dying. Now, he actually lived on until 2011, but in this movie, compared to how he looked just a few years earlier when pulling ping pong balls in Superman 3, something went wrong with the man. Mm. But this little boy asked Superman to stop all the nukes. And Superman's conflicted. He thinks about it. He goes and talks to the elders. What a horrible scene that is. You want to hearken back to Superman 1, and then you do a slide projector of old men on the Fortress of Solitude's wall.
3: Here's the thing. Superman went to space school for 12 years, and he still can't make a damn decision for himself. (laughs) This is maddening. Superman has done a lot by this point. He's well over 30. He's probably closer to 40 in the movie years. you got to be able to make a decision by this point.
1: Yeah, good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. But this, if they had been able to afford Brando, would have been maybe their breakup. This may have been where the son tells the father that he's now in control. That could have been a good conflict to introduce here. But of course, they don't even have the mom. She does some voiceover work, but they don't even have her image in this movie. They just went some random extras and wanted you to believe that it was the council that got Krypton blown up in the first movie. Well, why listen to them at all? They were idiots. But then, if the council
2: provides no council, Superman does something that even pissed the hell out of me when I was 12. He goes to Lois. He actually has a date with Lois. I don't know why they're dating, since he now knows they can never be together, but they're still dating. And he skips out on their date, and she comes to his apartment, and what's wrong? And he just casually jumps off the balcony with her and goes, oh- I'm Superman. I'm going to take you on a flight now and pour out my heart. And then when I'm done using you for emotional support, I'm going to kiss you and screw with your head.
3: (laughs) This is awful. Again, let's go redo some of that Donner stuff. Let's go do stuff that worked in those first two films. I don't think this worked in the first film, but now it seems like rape. Now I'm just (laughs) taking you out and making you forget on
1: purpose. But has she forgotten? They play fast and loose. It almost seems like at certain points, certainly later in the movie, when Lois goes to give him advice, that she's very well aware of his double identity. They aren't 100% clear how much Lois knows. And that's mostly because we're not sure how much Lois is intoxicated.
2: (laughs) But I really took this as damaging to Lois. Yeah, you use the word rape, Jacob. I don't know that I'd go that far. It's kind of an incendiary word. But I would say that this is definitely some form of emotional abuse. He does it so casually. How many times between Superman 2 and now has he gone, I'm Superman, and then kissed her and made her forget? She seems to not be too well in the head after the kiss. Is it Margot? Is it Lois? But somebody's not doing too well. She's like, how'd I get out here? I'm always forgetting things now.
1: (laughs) Well, she is getting better at flying. Do you notice he lets go over and she's somehow airborne for miles? (laughs) Pretty good. Keep that up and you might not need him at all.
2: She took the right pill that day. She's flying. (laughs) But that scene, even at 12, I couldn't put my finger on it, but it bothered me. As an adult, I see this as emotionally abusive. I really am upset with Superman for doing this. I can't even define how this upsets me that Reeve would allow this to happen to the character.
1: And it seems like their relationship, she is not hung up even on Superman at this point. It should be said that Lois doesn't really get that moony-eyed the way that she did in the first two movies about him. She almost seems like a kid's sister. She's there for advice and she looks up to him but I just don't get the romance angle of it. So change the relationship. Have her know and have her get over it. Maybe she's dating somebody else. Maybe you play it a different way but I'm right there with you Arnie. This seems redundant if not offensive that he's making her forget every time he wants to unload his problems well i'll tell you what all of these people it's dismal scene after scene it's a reunion that's turned into a nightmare but the one stroke that still has me smiling gene hackman came back and boy am i happy to see him
2: (laughs) now they almost have to give him a wig to cover the actual baldness (laughs) that he refused to take in the first film
1: (laughs) Yeah, maybe he's gone more method. I don't know. But they got an Otis clone with him here when he's at this chain gang opening, and they quickly shuttle him off for something newer and hipper. Pretty and Pink had come out the year before, so we've got to have John Cryer now as the nephew, Lenny, that's going to bust him out of this chain with his super cool convertible car. I don't particularly like that, but I do like the fact that this is going to be another Lex Luthor adventure. After Robert Vaughn in the supercomputer, I really did not want another villain that wasn't Luthor.
2: I am happy to see Hackman back. I will say that. I loved his energy in those first two movies. He was off the wall. He really brought something that I didn't realize as a kid was so important to those movies. Here, I feel that there's just some stuff missing. Without Ned Beatty and Miss Tessmacher to play off of, given Lenny here, and given his plot, it seems a bit
1: more meandering. It's like there's just less
2: for him to do.
1: I don't know what his plot is. I get the fact that he's going to take genetic material, Superman. And I did like this scene. It's one of the few that I give a pass to is that they go to this museum and a single strand of Superman's hair has been donated to show how much weight it can withstand. And
3: you like that they could take bolt clippers and just cut it when it's shown that it could hold a thousand pounds?
1: (laughs) I give it a pass. I'll let it go.
3: Oh, no, you can't give this a pass. Like, this is, (laughs) no, this is childish. Come on.
1: I'm not going to say it's as good as anything we've seen before, but I at least feel the movie heading towards something I want to see. Your word, Arnie, is apropos. Meandering. This thing has been all over the map, and I just don't see any focus. I don't see a good fight for Superman here if it's a political discourse about the need for nuclear disarmament. It doesn't even make any sense. Superman is going to take all of these nuclear weapons and throw them into the sun... Is he then going to kiss every nuclear physicist so that they forget how to make more of them? We can just reproduce them. This does nothing by disposing our arsenal. Which will happen in the film. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing.
3: is We are told the world is on the brink of nuclear destruction. The peace talks have failed. So Superman shows up to the high school cafeteria disguised as the UN. <laughs> and he's like, hey guys can't do this. And everyone starts cheering. They didn't even need to get to the brink of nuclear war. Everyone just all of a sudden agrees. Yeah, Superman's right. Let's not do this. They are just trying to get through this film as quickly as possible to save that money. It's ridiculous.
1: I do like this scene. I want to say that I really think that his speech is actually kind of nice. It probably was the reason why this movie existed, so that Christopher Reeve could explain how Superman now sees himself as an Earthling that's an interesting concept, that he used to see himself as a visitor. Now he's one of us, and he wants to make things better by being this citizen. On one hand, for this scene, it's really nice to think that the world is happy that he's taking away their toys. We're all children that haven't played right, and he's going to take it away. But how much better would this conflict play if we had a real belief that there was a nuclear standoff? We understood that there was another bad guy that had their finger on the button. Terrorist or something. I I think that they were afraid to go with russian stereotypes they could have easily had some kind of russian leader who was going to start war with america but they chose not to demonize one country over another the whole idea was to celebrate peace and not persecute warmongers
2: well in the original script and in all this extra footage that could have been superman 5 that happens ah And it's Luther who does it. My complaint with Luther here is that he gets out of prison and he's like, all I've thought about in prison is stopping Superman. And when I'm 12, that's enough. Luther only exists. All bad guys only exist to stop the hero. Which makes no sense as an adult, their goal shouldn't be stopping the hero, their goal should be some other villainy, but the hero stands in their way. Well, in the movie we see, he gets out and his only plot is to stop Superman, and his way of doing it is genetic manipulation of the hair. But there's this secondary part of his plot, even in the film we see, where he is also making money, just like you said, Stuart, selling new nuclear weapons. He goes to the underground arms makers, and he works with them. Superman is throwing weapons into the sun, but Luther is brokering the sale of new nukes, and in scenes we don't get to see, he's arrested for illegal arms sales by Russians, And he's in a Russian court and goes, disarmament is a capitalist plot. I can get you nukes. And so they (laughs) let him go. And then he's arrested in the U.S. for selling (laughs) weapons. And he goes, disarmament is a communist plot, but I can get you nukes.
3: So Superman's speech was like the equivalent of a Superman kiss. He created world peace for three seconds till Luther showed up. And they all forgot about it.
1: I love the fact that makes Luther the instigator. That's the right impulse, that people were ready for disarmament, and it's Luther and his need You need to write it better, but I think that that's good. Why cut that? I guess anything to make this movie shorter is an improvement. Even at its 90 minutes, I couldn't wait for it to end. But I do like the impulse that they're having to make Luther more central here. Because, yeah, it is kind of nebulous that he's just going to throw some genetic material into the cone of a rocket and think that when it mixes with the sun, it's going to turn into something cool.
3: I guess the whole plan to get rid of all the nukes were to fire them all, and Superman would just catch them, put them in a huge net. This is a fairly good map
2: painting, I guess, for this film at least. <laughs> it's a good matte painting, but he uses a net? <laughs> Where does he get this net? Does he weave the super net? It's one of
3: those magical powers he had in the Fortress of Solitude. We're going to see him build a wall by staring at it at this film. I'm not worrying about this net.
1: No, I think it's actually kind of cool. I think the imagery is ridiculous, but the fact that he's got a whole shopping bag full of nuclear weapons and he's just going to sling it into the (laughs) sun, it's crazy town. It's silly, but I'd rather the movie exist on that plane than sort of the drab, draggy area that it's mostly been in. Most of this movie is really sermonizing and dull. It's not even silly, funny, bad. It's just bad, bad.
2: I would have liked the movie. I don't know that I could say I would have liked it, but... At this point, though, I would want to see the government's reaction to Superman's interference. I would think that they would have military installations trying to stop Superman from taking nukes. Well, he doesn't really take them, though. They volunteer them. They went crazy at the U.N.,
1: But Jacob, I was confused by that. Watching this scene, at first I thought they were doing testing, and he was intercepting them. It wasn't clear to me, still isn't now, totally, that they were willingly giving to them. If they were willingly giving him their arsenal, then just have him fly down and pick them up. I don't think you need to fire them at all.
2: He's super lazy. Yeah.
3: Look, I'm not going to try to get into the logic of this
2: film. In addition to logic of this film, at the age of 12, I was really upset that hurtling all those nukes into the sun would cause the sun to explode and kill us all. The sun is just a big
3: nuclear reactor. It's atom bombs going off on the thing every day. A few nukes isn't going to do anything.
2: (laughs) Might make it more powerful. It'll envelop mercury.
1: Nothing was more frightening than a nuclear bomb in 1984 through 1988.
2: Possibly 1944 to 1988.
1: Yeah, true. True enough. Maybe nothing is now, but for me, speaking developmentally as a child, nothing frightened my imagination more than nuclear war. It really came down to the day after and just all of that propaganda they had out there that we were one red button away from total annihilation. Tapping into this kind of fear, it requires you to create something scarier than Nuclear Man. Where they really err is that they pull back from this and go total mole man on the second half of this movie. (laughs) Maybe they should have, but you either do one or the other. You either make the serious film about nuclear disarmament and Lex Luthor is your bad guy, or you do this crazy, silly thing with the surfer guy with the Lee Press on nails flying around destroying the Great Wall of China.
3: Well, Stuart, it got crazier in the original cut. We got Bizarro, or some version of Bizarro.
2: See, in the original footage, this is all available on the DVD if you feel inspired the way you were inspired to go see the Donner Cut. Or YouTube, that's how I saw it. Or the Superman 5 that Albert (laughs) Pune could have made in an alternate reality. Lex apparently made two clones. The first one he made in a nuclear reactor in his living room. And this was a Buster Poindexter-looking clone of Superman. (laughs) It was as if Buster Poindexter and Peter Doyle in Young Frankenstein had a baby. That was what this clone looked like. And he was walking around naked with just like a satellite dish over his junk until he was given a robe and told to go kill Superman Which he then attacks Superman outside of a nightclub where Clark is on a date with Lacey.
3: And what is the music playing? I don't know if it's a toy
2: piano or the ice cream man's driving through the scene. (laughs) It is bizarre. It's a temp score. Alexander Courage would have changed it if it had made it in the cut. I don't know that they had the budget to change it at that point. (laughs) It is truly bad. And Superman quite easily defeats nuclear man number one. He
3: gets electrified and turns to ash, and so Lex just vacuums him up with a little dustbuster. It's insane.
1: This sounds Lester-esque to me. Is that in keeping with Superman 3 kind of tone then?
3: It might sound more Lester-esque to you, but it is not done with his quote-unquote skill. Yes, it's more humorous, but I think he was pretty effective with a lot of his humor, whether that worked for you or not. But yes, it had a more humorous tone to it, at least with this bizarro type character.
2: I say it fits perfectly with Lester's opening credits of Superman 3. Okay. And meanwhile, there are crazy things going on at the Luther place. There's like a Marie Antoinette woman. I do love that about Luther in this. There is
3: some crazy stuff. Even in the cut we see, he's got the Marie Antoinette chick just walking around. I don't know why, but that seems like something the Gene Hackman version of Lex Luthor would be doing.
2: But then, because the first nuclear man didn't quite pan out, he realizes the nuclear reactor in his living room isn't enough. He needs the sun. And so they take this little glob of silly putty and put it in a nuke.
0: I
3: love that they put this black and gold strip of fabric, and he tells Lenny, oh yeah, the computer will make clothes for him out of this. Like, that was our biggest concern. Where would Nuclear Man get his clothes?
2: (laughs) Well, the first Nuclear Man had none, so it's important.
1: They need to be made out of solar panels, is all I can say. This has (laughs) to be the worst superhero villain, maybe ever. I'll have to think on that, but... Correct me with an obvious worse villain than this. How lame. You take away the sunlight and he falls into a fetal position? How is that going to get you anywhere? For half his time on Earth, he's going to be completely ineffective.
3: All Superman needs to do is cover him with his cape, and he wins.
2: That is it. I have to think the hand is worse, but Nuclear Man does have a bad, bad weakness here.
1: Oh, Karichi, Yeah, the coin flipping was... Well, I don't know. I smiled more. To me, this is just pathetic. Here, I'm not sure what they're going for, but it's just way too kitty for what they had beforehand. It just doesn't seem like a threat. And while I want to appreciate that we're finally at least getting some big battles here, it's also where their budget is clearly deficient. We have a activation of a volcano, and he just cuts the top of a mountain off and plugs up the hole. I, that's going to solve the problem. Never mind all the forest animals and hikers that have just fallen. In into the lava
2: well the entire original plan was this was to be superman's clone and they were gonna have reeve do both parts which would have made a lot of sense
3: but we also saw in superman 3
2: yeah we just saw that
1: they couldn't do that again
2: yeah the producers decided it would be too expensive and yes we saw it already so they instead get flash gordon from the 1980s film and make hackman overdub the voice
3: I'm not a geneticist. I only know a little bit about how DNA works. But a clone that looks different, talks (laughs) with someone else's voice,
2: um not a clone. I honestly was thinking that they should have just inserted a line that Hackman was going Serpentor.
3: Did he put a little bit of his spooge in that pile there? He
2: wanted to get a little Lex in there. Yeah, it's going to have my evil genius, Superman's powers, and Fabio's hair. (laughs)
1: <laughs> this must have been the part that they were thinking about Wes Craven, because his power resides in his long fingernails, right? The thing that's scary about him is, although he's a big macho muscle man, he really hurts you by scratching you with his Lee Press nails.
3: I don't understand how this works. <laughs> Especially with Superman, who gets his power from the sun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think you're just supposed to be uncomfortable with the femininity of it. He scratches you. That's it
3: the greatest scene in this film is Nuclear Man takes the Statue of Liberty and is going to drop it and Superman comes and grabs it. Nuclear Man goes after him and comes up behind Superman and he just does a flash with both of his hands and his nails pop up. It is the greatest scene ever. (laughs) It is so campy and just cheesy like, oh.
1: You think that this is going to be an incredible battle and it ends up being a little slap fest. It's just like seeing it devolve and they're like, I scratch you. (laughs) Oh, okay. This is the fight we're going to get. All right, I'm going to have to put you in the corner and turn the light off. And
2: it goes on forever. (laughs) And it's slow. I get what they were trying to do. This should be a redo of Superman versus Zod, or at least Superman versus Nom, right? But the budget isn't there. The flying is so bad. There is literally a blue halo surrounding the characters, especially in between Nuclear Man's hair. And they just have this whole thing. Like you said, Jacob, it is so slow. It is lacking anything in the way of craft to make it exciting there's nothing here except more punching more punching oh there goes the great wall of china oh superman's gonna fix the great wall of china by staring at it does this a power is this with the cellophane s
3: We saw Zod, and he was able to bring a gun to him by staring at it. Superman, again, can move super fast. Have him just rebuild the wall. I guess they didn't have the budget to change the speed of the film or something in here.
1: This is when you're playing in the sandbox kind of logic, that anything that you do when you're playing Superman, Superman can undo because he pronounces it. But not by looking at it! They're not even trying to write solutions now. I blew up the Great Wall of China, I do my magic power, and it's back. Okay, this series has always had its easy write-outs. I've always felt like they've made things a little too easy for Superman to solve, but here, it's just pathetic.
2: Yeah, turn back the world, amnesia kiss, and now stare at it and the Great Wall of China's fixed. Yeah, mm. Or at least a little train track model of Great Wall of China. It has not improved (laughs) since the 70s.
1: Yeah, and a plutonium nail scratch is going to put him out of commission for a little while until he gets a pep talk from Lois and pulls out the green stick that we know he has in his back pocket that will undo any problems that are going on.
3: He lost his powers in two and got him back, which that was his last chance for Super Real that time. After he's told he can never get his powers back. And now he's lost him again. But luckily, he has another green crystal to get him back. This is just lazy and bad and not satisfying at all. Arnie, were you satisfied with this solution as a kid? I couldn't see this being satisfying as even a
2: child. I was never satisfied with why did he get cut. Why can Nuclear Man scratch him? Why does this make him sick? Admittedly, 80s, I'm scared he's radiation poisoned. Even Superman gets radiation poisoning. At least in this movie he does. Yeah, it was bothering me all the way around. And this crystal, whatever, even at 12, I was just giving up on this film. It pretty much was losing me when, before this, Clark was taking Lucy to the gym. (laughs) And working out and their little quadruple date scene where there's supposed to be some kind of high comedy scene with Clark and Superman flying in and out
1: telling you, Lester would have made it work. I think that was the only working out that Christopher Reeve did for the part, and I think they just turned it into a joke that, ha ha ha, I don't have to go to the gym this time. Everyone's on autopilot here. Even though they got everyone back, I don't feel like anyone's heart is into it. Maybe they know that this is going to turn out badly. It must have been evident when they showed up on set.
2: According to John Cryer, his first day on set, Christopher Reeve took him aside and said, this is going to be bad. We just have to get through it. (laughs)
1: That is not inspiring when Superman tells you that you're starring in a stinker. Wow. that's What can you do? That's just, it's got to be awful. That's got to be an awful feeling to know that you've just got to get through a miserable movie. That there was no hope of making it better. I think the instinct was right that if you made Luther this manipulation instigator here. Why not just make that the movie? Forget the special effects. If you can't afford it, do head games. I guess that would require having good writing. And it should be said that the screenplay here, not good at all. The weakest. Even if they had had 10 times the budget they had for any Superman movie, this would have been a poor story to tell. It's weak writing. It really is bad.
2: Mark Rosenthal is one of the writers, and he sits on a commentary passing judgment over this film, saying it's Canon Films' fault and how he had a scene of Lex Luthor pretending that Manhattan was going to be nuked, and then he's alone with Lenny in Manhattan stealing all of the works from the Museum of Modern Art. Listen I don't know that he needs to be sitting in high judgment of anything as he wrote Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes.
1: Right. Legend of Billie Jean, Jewel
2: of the Nile. Hey, I like Legend of Billie Jean. Fair is fair. I, <laughs> You
1: leave Helen Slater alone, sir. <laughs> hey, I was the one that gave her a pass last week, but <laughs> I give you.
2: Beverly Hillbillies, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was never going to be a great work, no matter the budget, no matter the commitment, no matter how hard they tried. But I do feel this. Even at their modest proposal, it could have been a better film if they had scaled back their ambitions to the movie they could make rather than try and make something they clearly weren't funded for. That is the real disaster of Superman 4 is they just go on rather than stop and rethink and regroup.
3: We should have used this film as a tax write-off. Give up halfway through, (laughs) realize it ain't going to work, and just write it off.
2: They were at the point where they felt Superman was cash in the bank, and they would be able to take the footage, make Superman 5. Don't forget, they were going to take the sets from Cyborg and film Spider-Man
1: on them, and (laughs) Captain America.
2: It was a Ponzi scheme of
1: films, is what it was. (laughs) Yes, I get that. I understand that, and it's too bad. And we'll probably never see a Superman property, no matter what we think of the new movie, we'll probably never see one in which so few participants really hope to have any kind of success. The failure, the flop sweat, is dripping off everyone here.
3: So, question. Again, I'm not a geneticist. While Superman's drinking down the juice from this green crystal to get his powers back, Nuclear Man sees a picture of Lacey. Rah, rah, woo! And does he fall in love with her? Yeah! Because Superman was in love with her, which he wasn't? She was in love with Superman? Superman's in love with Lois? They don't even get the love story right.
2: Jacob, she was the only blonde in all of Metropolis whose hair was almost as big as his. I think he wanted some nail tips. Yes, they can go to the pedicurist (laughs) together, the salon, (laughs) yeah. The gym. Hey, maybe she'd introduce him to Paul, the personal trainer with the shorts up by his scrotum.
1: (laughs) There's no reason for it other than it's third act time. It's time to escalate. We've had an hour of Superman and Nuclear Man having a hissy fit, and now we need to have the final battle, and the stakes are lacy. We're supposed to care that Lacey is the object of desire for Nuclear Man and that, yeah, it starts here with the Daily Planet and Superman is back. He's healthy and throws Nuclear Man into an elevator and takes it to the moon.
2: Now there were more stakes in the cutscenes.
3: You mean Superman didn't just stand around saying, don't do it, the people, instead of actually fighting?
2: Well, no, Nuclear Man was going to eradicate all life on Earth except for Lacey. Ah. He was flying through the skies at such a rate that he was showing up on everybody's radar as a nuclear missile. He was coming from the States. The Russians thought the Americans had fired the first shot, and the Russians were ready to fire the nukes back. And the Americans were like, we didn't fire it, but if you're shooting at us, we're shooting at you. It was going to be mutually assured destruction with only Nuclear Man and Lacey left alive, which even Luther wasn't going to abide.
1: I like that, except the fact that there are no nuclear weapons to fire anymore, so it's a stalemate.
2: In the extended scenes, Luther sold them
0: back.
3: Oh, okay. We do see Luther join up with three arms dealers, and eventually he takes over and fires them. And I would think it would take a while to make nuclear weapons, but he's stacking bills in this film, so he's getting them out there fast.
1: I like the fact that they're trying to, again, make everyone responsible for nuclear safety and that it's a parody of everyone's finger being on the button. I think that that would have worked right, but it's not scripted right. The world was not at the peak of nuclear destruction at this point. It was just one guy flying around. So, eh, good try, but no, that wouldn't have helped anything to have that subplot in here with the movie that we've had.
3: So was it just gonna be Nuclear Man and Lacey because Nuclear Man flies
1: Lacey out to space? Without a spacesuit? <laughs> that is a first. Forget first teacher in space. Man, she didn't even have a suit. Nothing. She's okay. I couldn't believe it. I at first thought maybe he's just against
2: a night sky star background.
1: No, he's in
2: space. <laughs>
1: No, they've been at the moon. He just pounded Superman into the surface of the moon, and now he's taking Lacey, for reasons unknown, up to a place where she can't breathe and will probably die instantaneously.
2: It gets worse in the cutscenes. Superman takes little Jeremy up into space, too. I'll talk about it in a little bit. But this whole thing's a mess. He takes Nuclear Man to the dark side of the moon in an elevator. This is perfect. Dark on dark. And then somehow the sun goes to the dark side of the moon? I'm really confused. Did he take him to the dark side of the moon? You see sunlight there. I was thinking, hey... Why doesn't he go to the dark side of the moon? They must call it the dark side of the moon for a reason. It's always dark. That's the thing with the dark side of the moon. Because of the rotation, one half of the moon is always bright. One half of the moon is always dark. And yet, they're in a dark side of the moon that becomes light.
3: Or, you know, he is Superman. He could have just, like, dug a big hole and buried him. That was my inclination. There's a million solutions here on how to cut
2: off sunlight to a guy that needs sunlight to live.
1: I would have uncapped that well and thrown him down with the Mole Man myself. (laughs) (laughs) More to the point,
2: though, there's so many ways for Superman to stop Nuclear Man. Why didn't Nuclear Man get out the fingernails again? Superman had the one-time cure. One more little cat scratch, and Superman's down for good. Why doesn't he? Nuclear Man pounds Superman into the moon
3: ground. Superman's arms couldn't move. He had him there. All he had to do was do a little scratch, just one nail. Maybe he was afraid of breaking them.
1: <laughs> I am going to give one tiny little compliment. There was actually one shot during all this fight that I actually liked. I think they actually did one bit of wire work. There's a part where Superman goes flying right at him when they're on the moon surface. I thought it was kind of cool. Blink and you miss it, but it was like the one time where they brought out the practical effects. But most of this is just miserable, and there's no reason to believe that Superman won't ultimately win against a villain with such an Achilles heel. At some point, he is going to be out of the sunlight, and will be rendered inoperable. And if it means moving the moon in front of the sun, well, damn it, okay, let the tides crest and everything on Earth be damaged, but let's knock this guy out. What would have Jeremy done in space? Did he write Nuclear Man a letter and ask him to please stop?
2: Well, after this fight... Superman gives his speech about how he thought he could save us from ourselves, but we have to be ready, blah, 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 whatever. And he actually says in our cut, he wishes we could see the world the way he does. But in the extended cuts or cut footage, he then goes, well, maybe you can. And he flies Jeremy into space. Oh, without a helmet? Without a helmet. But Jeremy's (laughs) fine and can still talk. And he goes, Jeremy, what do you see? And he goes, ocean, mountains. There's no borders. It's just one world. Oh, my. You know, I'm all for world peace.
3: But when it's talking down to you on this level, no, this is not satisfying. What also isn't satisfying is how Superman defeats nuclear man. He drops him in a nuclear reactor, which again, it's like when Superman gets scratched with the power of the sun. Well, that's his power. He's nuclear man. Why does a reactor destroy him?
2: Why wouldn't it melt down? It doesn't destroy him. There's no light in it. And so with (laughs) no light,
1: he's just in there, unable to wake up, and he's powering the world. Yeah, lights are coming on that aren't even supposed to. It's actually wasteful. Come on. We don't need all these (laughs) lights. Somewhere in this movie, Lex and Lenny have been here, too. What's really tragic is once Nuclear Man started flying around, Luther has played no role. I thought that I would be arguing that the kid would be taking all of Hackman's lines, but truly, both of them are barely here. I don't even remember that they've been in the movie until Superman is grabbing their getaway car and dropping them back off at jail and the orphanage.
3: A Catholic boys' school. Perhaps a fate worse than jail.
1: (laughs) But I do love the fact that he's like, see in 20, Luther, because that's pretty much exactly how long it's going to take for them to get another Superman movie in theaters. <laughs> I
2: want to know why he's only getting 20 years for all he's done.
3: <laughs> Again, this is a guy that has repeatedly nuked his own country i think that's called treason which is the death penalty but maybe a metropolis in dc world the laws are different
1: yeah but did he do anything worse than anybody else in this movie i'm ready to unite against all of it
2: well let's find out jacob stewart do you recommend superman 4 the quest for peace jacob I
3: do want to try to say some positive things about this film. It's pretty tough. I do like some of the interactions. As much as Reeve didn't seem to really want to be in this film, when he is on screen with Hackman and they have some of their back and forth, I enjoy that. Otherwise, this film is almost a total failure. Especially for a Superman film that was, thus far, a pretty successful franchise, at least with those first two. That third one made money, even though it was critically panned. Supergirl, okay, but this was still, here are your stars returning, and this is what you give us? How do we go from Zod to Nuclear Man? That is a steep decline in your level of villains here. Everything here is just such a steep decline. The effects, the story, which I don't even know if it works on a child's level. We've talked about that. Strong, strong, strong. Not recommend here. There's almost nothing enjoyable. The longer this film goes on, the less enjoyable it is. Stewart.
1: Well, Reeve did accomplish his goal. He united the world against this franchise. I think that there would probably be no fan left, no matter how young or old, that would withstand the misery of this movie. It really will make you a hater. You will just hate Superman after this movie. As badly as I knocked on Superman 3, and sure, you could kick around Supergirl as being silly, but that worked at least as a kid's movie. This movie does not work on any level for anybody. It's way too self sermonizing to work for the fun, actiony, kiddie fantasy they'd like to think they have in the middle of the movie. It's embarrassing special effects. It's half assed performances by people who we wanted to be there more than they did. It's just all around really depressing. And it's so bad that I can imagine that it was really hard to get anybody to try and reboot this franchise after that. Batman would come shortly afterwards, dark superheroes would reign, and this seems like really the death knell of the goody-goody superhero franchise. It's truly that terrible. One of the worst superhero movies I've ever seen, and were it not for the goodwill mostly, probably of the other films, I'll keep it from Man-Thing levels, but it's got to be in the top 10, maybe top 5, worst superhero movies we've covered. Real bad. The worst. The pits. Strong not recommend.
2: This movie is abysmal. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. It's only 90 minutes.
3: (laughs) The level of crazy they do in 90 minutes is kidder level crazy.
2: (laughs) I am going to give this film two compliments. The first compliment, while one of the worst movies we've reviewed on now playing, I still think it's better than Supergirl. No.
1: You are wrong. Yes, you are very wrong, but go on.
2: I still think Supergirl has bested even Man-Thing, perhaps. But the second compliment I will give it is it's so awful that I think you gotta see it to believe it. And so I toyed with giving it a Catwoman so bad it's good recommend.
1: Yeah, but did you laugh at this? I can honestly say I didn't laugh once. I'm trying to think of a moment where, intentionally or not, I was snickering.
3: When Nuclear Man
2: flashes his nails during that fight, that's it, though. You're right. That is the epitome of it. Also, the scene at the gym with the 80s leotards and the trainer with those short shorts, Margot Kidder's word slurring, Christopher Reeve wishing he had super speed so we could get the hell off the set. There's a lot here to laugh at, and I did. I laughed a lot, and nothing did I laugh harder at than every part of Nuclear Man. The really... Overmodulated Gene Hackman voice they couldn't get him to come back for another scene in two but they actually got him in an ADR booth for this the crazy teased hair I just couldn't decide which hair metal rocker nuclear man looked most like I ended up just calling him Bon Jovi in my notes but it's not quite Bon Jovi level there's somebody who he looks like it's like Bon Jovi and Danzig had a baby
1: Bon Jovi does like Superman. He has the tattoo. He might have had it removed if he had seen this one, though.
2: (laughs) I'll say this. If they'd left in the first Nuclear Man scenes with its Buster Keaton slapstick, I probably would have given this a so bad it's good recommend because that is craziness. But no, it's a red arrow. It's a miserable film. Don't take my hesitation as me saying I almost liked it. It's me saying, I almost recommend you see it to see how horribly awful it is, which is what we said for Catwoman. But no, in the end, even the 90-minute running length isn't sustained. There's too many unfunny points like the four-way date and the Daily Planet sellout subplot, and... It's just an exercise in bad filmmaking from a company that would continue to make worse films like Captain America until they finally delved into bankruptcy and were never seen again like Nuclear Man.
1: Yes. I think you're misleading people. I don't think this is nearly as much fun as a bad movie as I wanted it to be. But it should be pointed out on a very serious note, this is the last Reeve Superman performance we're ever going to get. How badly would you have enjoyed seeing him do one more if it was funded by the right people with the right creative instincts behind it? Are you up for more Reeve, even though this one stunk so badly?
3: I could always go for Reeve if the script is good. I still like him as Superman, but I want a decent script. I want a decent production. I want some money behind it.
1: Would you have been cooler with a Superman 5 than a reboot?
3: Again, if there's the script and the money and all those things, then
2: yes, I could go on with it. I think that Jacob speaks for most of the world. What Christopher Reeve did in the first two films, and especially the first Superman film being the superhero film, it became so lionized in global culture... That I think that's one of the reasons it took so long for Superman to get off the ground is nobody wanted to touch it. And then after Christopher Reeve had his accident, then it became almost insulting to the memory of what he used to be if you did it. And that's why I think when they would finally have a Superman movie with red cape and blue tights again, it is a sequel that tries to pay homage to what was done here and not the reboot that we're getting this year. That said, had this film been even mildly successful, it wasn't. But had it been, Reeve had plans for a Superman 5 and not Albert Pune's I'm taking the extra footage and filming stuff around <laughs> it.
1: Was he going to say the rainforest this time? Maybe the manatees of Florida? Maybe universal health care gets tackled.
2: <laughs> he was not going to star. He was going to write and direct the new Superman, which would hand the mantle off to another actor.
1: Oh, well, that is an interesting idea and one that I actually think is pretty good, except I don't trust his creative instincts if he thought this was a good storyline to follow. (laughs) But I would have applauded that. I would have said that would have been a gracious way of getting this off the ground. And anytime they would have been able to do that. It seemed to me that even post accident, he probably would have been capable of giving us a good Superman project. He understood the character and that always came through except in this last one that really felt like more a problem of just resigned to failure. But when he's committed to the project, even in the imperfect Superman 3, I think he knows how to tell a Superman story. I would have been down with it.
2: But yeah, it would be well over a decade before Superman returned to films properly. This pretty much killed Superman. It is the death of Superman. He'd die in comics about five years later, but he died in theaters here.
1: Yeah. And I'm not even sure the film we're getting next time is a Superman movie. You're really going to have to explain this to me. How Steel, the Shaquille O'Neal creation, is anyway connected with Krypton or Lex Luthor or anything. I haven't seen the movie. I don't want to see the movie. But I work it now playing and I will be seeing the movie next week. But if you wanted more
2: of the Salkins, if you wanted more of this kind of Superman... There is the Superboy TV series that happened in 1988 through 1992. Did it run that long? Yeah, the Salkins were behind it. It had several episodes directed by Jackie Cooper, who played Perry White in the movies.
1: Oh, okay. That's not necessarily a selling point, but I do remember that show. I did watch a few episodes. It did have some of the vibe on a TV syndicated budget of what the Salkins had going from those first two Superman movies.
2: So there was that, and there were some other attempts. The next time on the big screen, we will talk next week with steal.
1: Meanwhile, if you're one of our extra special donors, you can join us Friday for Return of the Living Dead, a movie that is vying to be actually worse than this film, I think. We'll see. We'll have to check it out. But I think it could actually compete with Superman 4 here. That's right, it is
2: part of our spring donation series. We are well past the halfway point. At the end of June, all of these podcasts go away. So if you want to hear our reviews of Return of the Living Dead, 28 Days and 28 Weeks Later, the Evil Dead films, including that remake that came out a while back, and World War Z coming out in just a few more weeks, head to nowplayingpodcast.com, click the banner at the top, Silver level donations of $10 or more get the Evil Dead films and World War Z, gold level donations of $25 or more and you also get Return of the Living Dead, the 5 part series and reviews of 28 days and 28 weeks later and remember, we're not selling podcasts, now playing has been and always will be free this is our donation drive where we raise the money that we need in order to keep this show going, if you've enjoyed our Superman retrospective series, we could use your donation even if you don't want to hear those podcasts donate five dollars it really helps us out or if you really enjoy these and want to hear the zombie films and keep us going donate 35 dollars or more all of the funds help keep this show on the air help pay for our bandwidth help pay for our servers help pay for our equipment without listeners we couldn't keep going so we thank you in advance for your support So find out all those details at nowplayingpodcast.com. We will be back next week with Steel. So up, up, and away.
0: I have to leave. I knew this time would come. We both knew it from the day we found you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. The virtuous spirit has no need for thankful approval. Only the certain conviction that what has been done is right. Come to nowplayingpodcast.com each week as we review another Superman movie leading up to this summer's Man of Steel.
1: Again, again! Superman's
0: bad. I mean, he was bad. In the archives at nowplayingpodcast.com, you can hear reviews of comic book movies such as all the Batman films, Green Lantern, Catwoman, the Marvel Avengers films, and many more. we have come a long way since the old neighborhood. You can also hear our reviews of non-comic-based films, including Star Trek, Predator, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. I never thought this thing would go the distance. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Now, this is a very special place for me. I wanted you to see it. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Let's go to my place. Maybe I should change this. You can also follow Now Playing at Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Why am I not reading it? The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com.
2: Superman will be there on
0: Wednesday, all right? The city of Metropolis is generous to a fault. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Don't tell me he sends a check every week to his sweet gray-haired old mother. Actually, she's silver-haired. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Now come on, lady, hand it over. Hey, Jim, that's a bad outfit. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties. Do you like pink? Coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much more. They have a wide selection. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. What, what more could anyone ask? A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. You now we're cooking, huh? Now Playing's Superman retrospective series is edited by Ray, Bill, Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie.
2: Your suffering will be
0: short. Mine, forever. Now Playing credit narration by Brock.
3: I do okay or what?
0: Uncle Rex. Now Playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Pictures. Superman is the property of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Pictures, and no infringement is intended. The dude of steel. Where <laughs> are you going to get it. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Why do you say this to me? When you know I will kill you for it. Now playing is a Venganza Media production copyright 2013. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.
3: Well, I guess I'd better be
2: going too. So I'll be going.
0: Bye.
2: See you later. Directed by Sydney J. Fury.
1: I'm Arnie. I thought you
3: were pulling the Puri white and you're going to just walk out. Show up at the end of the podcast.
1: (laughs) It would help if I had the right notes Maybe you've done a Margot Kidder and had a few.
2: <laughs> Speaking of this runaway... Tr- Speaking of this runaway... Oh, I can say it. Speaking if you, of- you could only speak of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not just the war Warbucks that... war fields. Sorry. It's not just You're thinking of Annie. <laughs> 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 tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll forget this film. Tomorrow. <laughs> In the cutscenes, Superman takes little Jimmy into space too. Uh, we'll talk about that.
3: <laughs> Maybe he should have stayed there after what he's doing with high school girls.
2: <laughs> not, Jimmy, not, oh, not Jimmy Olsen. Uh, oh,
3: okay, Jeremy, you mean.